I've just noticed on this here in memory of Reverend George B. Hossack. I love that. I've never used this before, and I see the little placard on here, uh, 1959 to 1979. I think I mentioned in the morning service that he was my, you all called it senior friend in those days. He was mentor when I first started out in ministry in 1986 at Abbey Hill Baptist Church, and uh, George used to turn up every now and again and make comments along the lines of, see, you're still encouraging the congregation. So fond memories of uh, George, a great and godly man. I'm thinking about um, the years of Christian life, Christian living, and the people that make it to the end, Liz and I were reflecting in the car on the way up of the people that we knew in Bible college times and how many of them have reached the stage where married couples are still together and they're still continuing in ministry and growing in grace and that sort of thing. Uh, And we were counting up some of the people that we knew and we thought it's great to see people continuing in their faith. And I'm going to be starting up a, a series here. I've got four Sundays in a row, so I thought a bit of consistency here. Let's look at something that holds together that really speaks into our lives as those who are on a journey. For I trust that everyone here is a Christian believer, and if you're not, have a little word with me afterwards because there's nothing better than being saved uh, by Christ and uh, to to be transformed and to know you're, you're heading for glory and heading for heaven. Uh, But this life is a shaping experience. The old-fashioned language is sanctification. It sounds a very holy thing, doesn't it? Well, it actually is. Holiness and sanctification, really, the modern speak for that, is spiritual formation. Something's going on in our lives as believers. From the day of our conversion, we are being shaped into the likeness of Christ. And it's an ongoing process. Uh, When I first started out in ministry, I had a text given to me by uh, Guy Finney, who preaches here as well. uh, It's in Proverbs, in the the Proverbs, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. That's a wonderful picture. And it's almost like a blessing that he was praying over my life at that time that my life might be like that. But every Christian believer should have a life like that, like the first gleam of dawn when you're you're first converted, shining ever brighter till the full light of day, more and more in the image of Christ. Now, we're going to be looking at the life of Joseph, and uh, I'm going to call this, uh, it's a mini-series on handling life like Joseph. Because when we look at Joseph's life and some of the things that he experienced on the way through life, then there are lessons for us. On one of the two morning services that I preached uh, here recently, it was the beginning of June, I preached on Joseph. I was in Genesis chapter 37. And my intention was to continue with a series in Joseph, which I am now picking up. Uh, in the evening. So I'm going to to be going into Genesis chapter 39, but not just yet. Uh, We'll turn to that in a moment. But in June, when I preached on Genesis from Genesis 37, uh, it was about dreaming dreams for God and how we can have dreams for God when we first step out in ministry. God can put something in our hearts 
But uh, we were learned from uh, Joseph that he didn't have the wisdom of experience as a young, precocious man and had perhaps little idea as to the perception his brothers had of him and how they hated him for his dreams and hated his being his father's favorite and hated the fact that he had clipped on them to his father for the things that they were up to, which uh, they were doing behind the father's back. And, of course, it led to the point at which his, brother, his brothers, some of his brothers, want to kill him, and they sell him to the Ishmaelites. It's a terrible way to start out for someone who has been dreaming dreams that have come from God, dreams of greatness, but one day, the sun and the moon and the, the 11 stars are going to be bowing down to him. A dream that one day his father and mother and his brothers are going to be doing homage to him. And he tells it to them, and they don't like it one bit. But he's heard from God. And yet the first thing that happens is his brothers betray him lie to his father about his supposed death, sell him as a slave to the Ishmaelites, make some money out of it to their shame. And all of a sudden, Joseph finds himself absent from his father, captive to these people, and taken off to Egypt. And in our Christian lives, there are bumps and bruises along the way. It is guaranteed but even the difficult things that happen to us in life, which we don't expect, can be formative in our experience when we trust God through those difficult times. And we find in Joseph an example of that. So we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 39. And the, the theme for this week is handling temptation. Handling life like Joseph, handling temptation. How do we handle temptation? And how are we shaped by this if we honor God or seek to do so in the hour when we're tested? Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in, the, in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted him with the care of everything he owned. From that time, he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. 
My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though he spoke to Joseph day after day, though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties. None of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and he had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has come, this Hebrew has brought, uh, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When I heard, when, when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him, put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him, showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. How often do you get what you could call a bad day? You're having a bad day. Everything just seems to go wrong. Well, if you think you've had a bad day in recent times, um, then I'm going to read to you a story. I think this is probably a fictitious story, but it's a very graphic description that someone gives to an insurance company after having had an accident. I'm writing in response to your request for additional information. In block number three of the accident reporting form, I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You said in your letter that I should explain more and I trust that the following details are sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of, ac of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered that I had about 500 pounds of bricks left over. Do the maths, by the way. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel using a pulley, which, which fortunately was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at the ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went back to the ground and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. You will note in block number 11 of the accident reporting form that I weigh 175 pounds. 
Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rather rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. This explains the fractured skull and broken collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep in the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel now weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight in block number 11. As you might imagine, began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles and lacerations of my legs and lower body. The encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks and, fortunately, only three vertebrae were, were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the bricks in pain, unable to move, and watching the barrel above me six, at the sixth floor, I lost my presence of mind and let go of the rope. I quite like that story. If it were true, it would be um, a good illustration of a very bad day. What kinds of bad days did Joseph have? Well, in Genesis 59, we've got a description of uh, a particularly bad day when he is lied, against, uh, lied about by Potiphar's wife. But there are other experiences that he had which would have led to him being tempted. And there are three temptations that I can think of in these early years of um, his, his life. And one of them is the temptation to become embittered. After what his brothers had done to him, it would be understandable if Joseph had become embittered by his uh, experience of betrayal by the people who were closest to him. It was not wrong for him to be tempted to become embittered, but it would have been if he had sinned and he had given in. And I think that that was a matter of choice for Joseph. He could continue to trust God even though he didn't understand that he'd had a dream from God and this was full of promise and yet, the first thing that happens seems to go entirely against what God has promised to him. He could have reacted badly and become embittered instead. And we end up with choices like that when bad things happen to us that don't fit the expectation that we have got of the promises of God for us. That somehow, and I don't know why it is, but we think that we're going to have all of the blessings of heaven in the here and now. 
and it doesn't work out that way. In fact, bad things happen to good people. It's very true of our lives, and we have a choice in those moments whether to trust God through those moments or to become embittered by them. Now, I was thinking when I was preparing this of the contrast between Nelson Mandela and Robert Mugabe, both in the southern area of Africa. Nelson Mandela, born in 1918. Robert Mugabe, born in 1924. Both drawn into the struggle against white minority rule, Mandela in South Africa, Mugabe in neighboring Rhodesia, as it was at the time. Both advocating violence as a means to bring down the white-run regimes, both enduring long terms of imprisonment. Mandela, 27 years. Mugabe, 11 years. Both suffering the anguish of losing a son while in prison, both refused permission to attend the funeral. What happened to these two men? Mugabe became embittered. Mandela became forgiving. Look at the difference between Zimbabwe and South Africa. There is a contrast between the two. It was a remarkable transition when white minority rule came to an end in South Africa. Large prayer gatherings took place in football stadiums for a peaceful transition, and it was largely peaceful. And yet, Mugabe, in his bitterness in Zimbabwe, cruelly uh, snatched back lands from people and impoverished them. And he continues to be apparently a very bitter man indeed. Each left a legacy, one of fruitfulness and peace, another of bitterness, tribalism, and hatred, all down to a choice of what we do in the bitter experiences of life. Hebrews 12:15 reads, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The outcome for Joseph would be fruitful, fruitfulness, as with that scripture, Joseph is a fruitful vine whose branches climb over the wall. So, temptation to become embittered, having a bad day or having a bad experience. If you're not having one just now, or you haven't had one recently, you may have one in the future, take a mental note of it. You'll have a choice. I will have a choice. Every sermon I preach to me, every sermon I say to a congregation, you can listen if you like, but this is a sermon for me as well as for you. As is every sermon that is preached, it's for the preacher as well as the congregation. We will all have difficult and painful experiences that don't seem to fit our expectation, and we will have a choice during that time as to whether we are shaped into Christ-likeness through that, or we 
surrender somehow to the bitterness. I pray nothing bad will happen to you. I certainly hope nothing bad will happen to me or to the people that I love and value. But the potential in a fallen world is that this may well happen sometime in the future. And I pray that I will have the grace of God and that you too also will have the grace to be able to continue to trust God through the tears and through the pain and become more Christ-like, shaped by the grace of God. A temptation to become embittered. There's also a temptation here for Joseph to doubt what God had revealed. We would be mistaken if we believed that once we commit our lives to Christ and we're following Christ, that we're going to be free from trouble and pain. It isn't, doesn't happen that way. I don't know where that myth comes from. I think it's probably somehow this, this expectation of heaven in the here and now, and it doesn't work out that way. In fact, it's probably more likely that temptations will become stronger for a time when we make a deeper commitment to Christ. It seems true of Scripture. Take, for instance, the baptism of Jesus. The Father's words to the Son, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, and the, the Holy Spirit comes down upon him as he's baptized. And what's the first thing that happens after his baptism, after this beginning of his very focused and fixed ministry for the three years before the cross and the resurrection? He's led by the Holy Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And does that strike us as strange? What took place? Read of it in the Gospels, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, where we read of the temptations of Christ. Temptations that are likely to, experience, to be experienced in similar ways by you and I when we devote ourselves to follow Jesus. These are temptations that are more likely to come to us when we're going forward spiritually, or like Jesus, we're physically tired or weak, or we are isolated and alone. The temptations were in part to doubt his identity and his worth. There are lessons for us here. Let's listen to this. What kind of temptations do we experience? Will we experience? Are you or me experiencing at this present time? These areas of temptation were of performance, of ownership, and of reputation. Turn these stones into bread if you were the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, of course, there's a doubt here. It's a doubt of his identity, of his ability, of his worth. Turn these stones into bread. You can perform miracles like that. I'll give you power over all of these nations. All of these kingdoms will be yours. Jump from this pinnacle of the temple and you'll survive because it says in the Psalms, you know, you dash your foot against a stone, you're going to survive it. Strong temptations to Jesus. As though he could find evidence or proof 
of his identity as the Son of God or his worth or his being loved by the Father in anything other than the words of the Father to him. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. But he is led by the Spirit into the desert to go through these temptations. And what happens as a result of this when he overcomes? Satan goes off and he's going to return to him at some other time. And we find that in the Garden of Gethsemane and other times as well when Satan is sought to, to tempt Jesus. But for this time and for this season, Satan leaves him and he returns in the power of the Spirit. And he goes into the temple and he preaches his first sermon there. It was a magnificent sermon there. The way in which he opens up the scriptures and reads from Isaiah, of the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, proclaim freedom to the captives. Uh, the year of Jubilee, wonderful, wonderful sermon. And, and then he, he nails it uh, there and immediately the opposition, the persecution come, but he's in the power of the Spirit because he's gone through the temptations and he has overcome. God does not tempt us, but he does allow us to be tempted. And those temptations that come to us, when as those who are surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and who are resolute in that by the grace of God, we are not going to yield to temptation and sin. We're not going to give in to a spirit of bitterness. We're not going to doubt our worth or our identity as believers. If this is our resolute goal in life, Come what may, in, by, by way of temptation, by the grace of God, it's in our heart that by trusting in the power that he gives us, we are going to honor Jesus. We will be shaped more and more into the likeness of Christ. And that is his intention and, in his, and his purpose in allowing us to go through the kinds of experience that everybody else within the world goes through, Christian or non-Christian, for we all experience illness, bereavement, Loss, suffering, rejection, injustice. Living in a fallen world. This is not paradise. Paradise is yet to be. A fallen world will not respect the estate of the believer over the unbeliever or the good person over the bad person. We will go through the pain of it all, but we can look at life through the eyes of faith. And what do the scriptures say in Romans? That, that uh, all things, that there's nothing that happens to us other than it is by, by the hand of God. Uh, God is in control of all things. Uh, and even the bad things that happen to us can still be there to shape us. And God can use, bring good out of adversity for us. Third temptation, temptation to indulge in consolation behavior. That's how I would describe this. Joseph's experience of temptation appears to be relentless. It's inner and it's outer. He's a young, single, strong man. And Potiphar's wife has got her eye on him. And he's trying to, trying to wear him down, 
Day after day after day, he faces this daily temptation of a woman who seeks to seduce him. And in the kind of climate that there was in that day, he could have easily given in on a day when the house was empty. But he was going to do what he knew was right. This was even before the commandments were given. It was later that the Ten Commandments, including you shall not commit adultery, were to be given through Moses. But it, within himself, he knows that this is wrong. Will not do it. Will not give in. And he's in a desperately difficult situation because he can't report her because this is his master's wife. But what if he doesn't report her? And then finally, as we read in the story there, in doing the right thing, he suffers for it because he is accused falsely of attempting to rape his master's wife. She lies and we could say is believed, although I'm not sure that she was believed by Potiphar. Potiphar is incandescent with rage. He is furious. But it doesn't say he's angry with Joseph. He could well have been angry with his wife. He's certainly angry with the situation because Joseph has brought him nothing but prosperity. There's a doubt in his mind, and who does he believe? But he doesn't get Joseph executed, which he could have done. He has him imprisoned instead. He'd have to do that to save face anyway. Joseph, at the end of this, the other end of this, though he's already reflecting on the betrayal of his brothers, and he's a single man, and he's a slave, he could have committed adultery with his master's wife if he'd wanted to. But he doesn't. He does what is honorable. He suffers, but is encouraged knowing that God is with him. For we read there that everything, that, uh, everything that's gone wrong with Joseph, something else is going right. The Lord was with Joseph, showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the uh, keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever that was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. In the midst of all of this, he was not forgotten. And when we're wounded, when we're down, when we're isolated, when we're under pressure, when we're seeking to go forward with God, Temptations can come when we're feeling low. Consolation behaviors can be of all kinds. Alcoholism, gluttony, pornography, adultery, all sorts of ways in which, and there are many, many temptations out there that we know of. And in isolation, we can be vulnerable in those moments, to becoming damaged 
by sinning against God when He sees all things, though someone else may not see what is going on. Moments of weakness in our lives, temptations that can be strong, that can stop us from moving forward but send us backward, that can prevent us becoming shaped into the likeness of Christ. And whatever steps we need to take in moments like that, whether it's personal accountability or whatever it is, whether it's sharing with a friend and saying, I am vulnerable in this area when I'm feeling down. I'm making myself accountable to you for this in order that I might not sin against the Lord and I might be strengthened in this situation to become an overcomer because I set out on this journey as a Christian to become like Christ, to be holy and to be godly. And I want that text in Proverbs 4, the, uh, the uh, path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter till the, till the full light of day to be a description of my life, to be my experience. Joseph was an overcomer. What temptations are you experiencing at this time? For surely a sermon will highlight something for you if there is a particular area where you're vulnerable. It could be the area of doubt. It could be the area of suffering and what you do with it. Or it could be of indulging in some form of consolation behavior when you're feeling low. Some substitute, as it were, for the grace that God gives. Look at temptation as an opportunity for spiritual growth when you say no to it and yes to Christ. Do the right thing. Handle life like Joseph. Overcome. And look for the evidence that God is with you. For he is. Even when things go wrong in your life. In due time, as with Joseph, you too will be fruitful.